informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in to AOA today. Always appreciate being you joining us today. And folks, I tell you what, it is an exciting day. I am down in New Orleans for CattleCon 2023, the NCBA's gathering of cattle producers taking place here in New Orleans. And I am not forgetting about the cattle producers across the northern parts of this country grappling with ice and snow and cold, but it is rather balmy here in New Orleans, and we are going to be celebrating cattle. We're also going to be celebrating what makes U.S. cattle so potent on the export market, which is U.S. corn. Folks, as you know, today is the first Wednesday in the month of February, which if you are a regular listener to AOA, you know that's the time we talk to our friends at the National Corn Growers Association for a segment we like to call the monthly grind. And that's what we are doing today. Kicking things off first and foremost, we've got Harold Woolley. He's a vice president of the National Corn Growers Association. And Harold, it's got to be exciting to be here celebrating this marriage between beef and corn with NCBA. It is, uh, you know, I have a, a cowboy hat at home, but Mike, I left it home because I was told if you don't own some cattle, you really shouldn't wear that big cowboy hat. That's right. You don't want to be all hat and no cattle <laughs> when you get down with these folks. So we're celebrating and we're educating the, the intersection between cattle and beef. And this is something NCGA has been working on for some time. Harold, let's talk a little bit about the education that you guys have worked on here with NCGA promoting beef. Excellent. Uh, you know, we do the we sponsor the Cattleman Education Series, which brings the latest and greatest industry news to producers. Um, we host learning lounge events at the Angus Convention and at the annual cattle convention here. And Harold, those learning lounge events, we'll be doing one tomorrow. We'll be talking about beef on the export stage because that has been a huge component of the cattle market here over this past years. But it is great to be able to have that inter that interaction between beef producers and corn growers because corn brings a lot to the cattle industry here in the U.S., doesn't it? It, it works both ways. Uh, cattle eat a lot of corn, so we certainly appreciate that. And cattle and corn, is, of course, provides the energy for these cattle to grow. You know, we get some tremendous growth rates for our cattle when they're eating corn. When you come to an event like this, from the corn growers' perspective, is the goal to educate the beef producer on the value of adding corn, or is it just to let them know that corn growers are working hand in hand with them? Well, from my perspective, it's that we're, we want to know, want them to know that we support their industry, that we value their industry, that we're on their side when it comes to, to issues of policy where we can help out in D.C. Um, we truly appreciate the amount of corn that the cattle industry consumes. And how does NCGA show how much you appreciate the, the beef producers here across this country? Well, we try to try to sponsor some events with the National Cattlemen's Beef. Uh, Cattlemen to Cattlemen is a series on RFD TV, and we've participated in that a couple different times. So. And when you're doing Cattlemen to Cattlemen, of course, we're not just talking to Cattlemen with that show. Kevin Oxner, of course, reaching a large audience. What was the focus of the National Corn Growers episodes of Cattlemen to Cattlemen? Well, the, the last one was on exports and the value of exports to the beef industry. And of course, that flows through to corn. You know, those cattle that are getting exported eat corn, too. So 
uh, that was the focus of that show. That's true. And then I understand you've also talked sustainability, Harold, which is such a hot topic. It is certainly a topic that's going to come up down here in New Orleans on the beef side, but it matters to corn growers it as well. It certainly does. It matters to consumers. And, and that's the driver, I think. You know, when I look at sustainability as a three-legged stool, people, planet, and profit, and all three of those legs have to be strong to support the, the stool. And, you know, for corn farmers, it's probably a little different uh, than for beef cattle, but yet the fact that we can sustainably produce our corn and that gets consumed by the cattle is, I think, comforting to those consumers who are concerned about the sustainability of the beef that they eat. It is. And so is, are we seeing NCGA work more to educate the consumers of beef on the value of corn in the supply chain? Absolutely. We'd like to see that. We wish uh, every consumer appreciated uh, the sustainability of our corn that they get to eat through when they eat beef. And Harold, I know this time of year, serving as the, the vice president for the National Corn Growers Association, you're traveling a lot. You're talking to corn growers at, at state association meetings across the country. What are you hearing from corn growers as 2023 gets start? What challenges are they, they looking at as the year moves ahead? Well, it, it boils down to our top three priorities. The, the next farm bill, as you know, expires in, in 2023 here, September 30th, I believe. We need to get that across the finish line the next generation fuels act which uh, revolves around ethanol and the ability to consume higher blends and then of course trade and that is an issue here at national cattlemen's as well i was just attending a, a meeting that had the canadian uh, group of cattle producers and the mexican cattle producers talking about trade and the issues that they face are there issues coming ahead on the trade front with Mexico? Well, obviously on the corn grower side there is, aren't there? On corn there certainly is. We need to get that fixed, uh, the, the GMO ban that, that is scheduled to come in place here in 2024. Um, from the cattle producer side, they're worried about disease. They want to control all of the different diseases that are out there so that they don't come across borders. Um, very important to the cattle industry. That's the thing. The biosecurity is so vital in 2023 for cattle producers. I, I want to bring us back to education, Harold, because that, that is why we're here. That's why NCGA is here. Part of the challenge reaching farmers is that we're spread across this great country and it's tough to hit them all. But I know NC, NCGA has been working on a podcast, right? Working with the Cattle Call podcast, I should say. What have you guys been doing there? Well, that's an ongoing podcast. And you know, as you know better than I, podcasts are popular. I, I have to believe that people, when they're driving to work, want to listen to a podcast. So anytime we can get our story across on a podcast, I think is a very good thing. That's true. Conversation so far down here, Harold, what have you heard from cattle producers since you've been at the, uh, the NCBA convention? Well, the, the drought was hard this past summer on a lot of cattle producers. Uh, the feed availability, the price of hay, all enter into the costs of uh, production for our beef producers. That's so true. There's a lot of folks running around down here, Harold, who wonder if we're going to see corn acres tick up in this next growing season. Do you have any hot tips for us? What do you expect? <laughs> I expect that we're going to grow a few more acres of corn. Uh, you know, the prices are such that, that uh, producers are going to want to produce. And, and, you know, that is a goal of the corn industry is to produce enough corn for those who consume it in this country and for exports as well. So 
We'll be, we'll be trying our very best to grow a nice crop of corn. That's what it is all about. Harold, while we've got you on the line, before we let you go, if we've got listeners who want to keep up to speed with what's happening in D.C., what's happening on a policy front, Corn Growers Association does a lot of work to that end. Where can they go to keep up to speed on the work you're doing? Well, our NCGA uh, website is the, is the best place for that. Uh, Fantastic. NCGA.com. That's the National Corn Growers Association. We have been speaking today with Harold Woolley. He's a Minnesota farmer, serves as a vice president for the National Corn Growers Association. And Harold, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stay with us when AOA returns in just a moment. We're going to talk with Lance Zimmerman of Robo Bank. We're going to get an update on that cattle inventory report that was released yesterday, as well as look ahead for his expectations in the beef industry. Stick around. We'll have more AOA coming up from the National Cattlemen's Convention here in New Orleans. information farmers and ranchers need to know AOA now back to Mike Pearson Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Certainly appreciate you joining us today for a very fun episode of AOA. We are at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Cattle Con down in New Orleans, Louisiana. And today we are doing the monthly grind, our monthly focus on the corn market with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And one of the things that we need to talk about, we have been talking about, these conversations will continue over the coming year, is the global interconnectedness of agriculture. The way things happen, sometimes over overseas can impact us here in the U.S. needs to be kept up upon, and that's something NCGA has been doing. Joining us now is Troy Schneider. He's the chair of the Market Development Access Team for the National Corn Growers Association. He's a corn grower and a cattleman outside Cope, Colorado. Troy, thanks for joining us today. Mike, thank you for having us. It's always good to join you. It is always a pleasure to talk to you, Troy. And you get to do some traveling in your role as the Market Development Action Team chair, and you had the chance back in December to travel over to Europe for the US-EU Collaboration Platform on Agriculture. Troy, aside from having a terrible name, what is this US-EU CAP? Okay, the Collaboration Platform on Agriculture, or CPA, it is where the USDA and their counterparts over in the European Union, DG Agri, have gotten together over the last few years. They have put um, their teams together we attended at the end of that week the ninth annual European Ag Outlook Forum. And I think what it is is we, the United States, the USDA, wanted to have a role with the Foreign Ag Service Agency over there as to what was going on. A lot of concern stems around the MIR policy. The MIR policy is, okay, if they're going to implement something in the European Union, other countries need to be doing the same thing so everybody's on the same platform. And that is something we're not in favor of. You know, we talked about it last month. We have our sovereignty here. We have the, you know, we need to be doing what is best for us. We need to be looking out for the environment, but we also are committed to feeding and fueling the population of this world. Absolutely. So that mirror policy, Troy, this would be if the EU makes a declaration, the member countries, the countries that sign on to this platform have to agree to follow that EU policy. And we've seen this create some some tension in the Netherlands. Of course, the Dutch are closing down some livestock operations. What was the sense from the livestock producers in Europe when you were over there presenting the American corn growing science and methodology? Did they understand what we were up to here in the U.S.? Yeah, we ran into a, a farmer from Greece, and he, he explained to us that 
the farmers over in the European Union do not feel like they are appreciated, that they're wanted, that they, you know, people are too disconnected from their farms. So one of the main things the, the collaboration platform on agriculture focuses on is, in, at least in my opinion, is how do we learn from what has happened over in Europe to the European farmers? How do we make sure, you know, we're here at CattleCon within CBA, and NCBA was on that trip. Kent Bacchus, uh, Jacqueline Wilson, Kent Bacchus from NCBA. Jacqueline Wilson was a producer uh, that attended from Alliance Nebraska. What we all came away with is we need to learn from their mistakes. How do we go forward? How do we make sure that those policies don't come over here? We do have those policies coming to the head every once in a while here in the United States, but we have that strong voice within CBA, within CGA in Washington, D.C. How do we continue to make sure that those policies are kept at bay to where we can keep producing in a sustainable, economically fashionable way to where we can feed and fuel the world? Troy, you mentioned some of the policies that come out of the EU are merit watching for mm -hmm. producers here in the US. What are some that you're keeping an eye on from a corn grower cattle producers perspective that are percolating over um, in the EU? Over in the European Union, when we were there for the CPA, one of the ideas, well, not ideas, but um, topics came up was the, the methane tax emission on cattle and then the reduced use of um, pesticides. And, you know, it, I always have to go back to Jason Hoffmeister with the USDA, uh, an undersecretary there that he presented on the last couple of days, and there was a chart. And if, if your viewers could picture this chart, on one side it was the adaptation of uh, herbicides, the adaptation of hybrids, uh, precision agriculture. On the bottom was the timeline, on the other side it was the production, the, the bushels per acre that we've had, the increase we've had. And we could not be doing what we're doing now, feeding the world, if we didn't have that technology. Um, the other day, I was watching a show on RFD TV, and it, it talked about how by 2050, we need to have a 60% increase in production just to keep up with the growing population. That's what we're trying to do with the European Union on the CPA is, how do you balance that? Okay, let's have this discussion. We're not going to agree on everything. We know we're not going to agree on everything, but how do we get to the point where we make sure we feed this world? Do the Europeans have an answer for that question? Is there, hey, we got to produce 60% more food. It's going to take a lot more production in order to do it. How do they propose doing it without technology? Troy, do they have a solution or they're just sticking their heads in the sand is how it looks from the outside. To be polite about it, I did not get that answer from them when we were over there. If they have it, they kept it very close to the chest. Um, but here in the United States, we have to use our technology. We have to adapt new technology for those sustainable goals. You know, NCGA had its sustainability goals set for 2030. We're working on those right now, the reductions, but we also went back in time and looked at where we were in 1980. So we had those numbers, and if anybody wants to, they can go to ncga.com and look up that sustainability report. And I know NCBA has used that report in their, on their behalf because, you know, that's part of their story. They can tell it from one side, but okay, the corn that comes into the feedlot, how do they use that? So that report was very valuable for not only corn growers, but for cattlemen as well. And I want to build on that, Troy, because you were over there with Sarah McKay from the National Corn Growers and, of course, the partners from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And you were presenting the research that's been done here on U.S. agriculture. What was the response from the Europeans as they were looking at the data and the science that we have backing up production here across the United States? 
Well, at, at times it got to be kind of contentious because um, it was at a agree to disagree. You know, do your numbers work? How do you, how do you, how did you get to your numbers? The question was asked, and so we have to go back and we have to make sure. And and at certain points we did. Here's the proof. Here's the research we've done to prove these facts out, where we were, where we've come from, and where we're going to go. Troy, there seems to be a gap between agricultural production practices in the U.S. that, that I'm used to confronting mm -hmm. and what I see in Europe. And I don't have much knowledge of European agriculture close at hand, but did you notice that? Is there a gap between the technologies that Americans are using, GMOs accepted, and what Europe is doing on the ground? We took, we took a couple tours on Wednesday when we were over there, and we went to some different research farms. And it was interesting, some of the technology that they're wanting to implement is technology that we have been using, whether it's, you know, um, sea and spray, you know, they were, they were talking about a little bit, but, it, you know, now you see John Deere coming out with it and other companies coming out with it and it's, it's going to be here. And, and the one thing I'm excited about as a corn farmer is the fertilizer, the in-furrow fertilizer that some companies are coming up with where they're dropping the fertilizer just right with the seed, not all the way through. So not all six and a half inches or whatever, however your population is. And so different things there. Um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity when the USDA returns the favor, has them, has the European Union, DG Agri, and their, our counterparts come over to the United States. I want to make sure to take them out to farms. You know, the USDA, the our universities can be there, but let's go to actual farms and ranches and have the actual practices that we're doing put on display. And, you know, I think it'll speak for itself. Troy, if that is to happen, if the USDA holds a meeting here, we bring these Europeans over, how many do you imagine of the group would be farmers who would understand what they're looking at? And how many in the European, this type of ag are, are more bureaucrats, might not be familiar with what's happening on the ground? Well, Mike, that's an interesting question. And I'm going to turn it back to the United States and the USDA, too. Um, I mentioned Jacqueline Wilson with NCBA. We were the only two producers in the room. There were, 30 of, there were 30 spots. So of those 30 spots, NCBA and NCGA got creative and figured out, you know, we're going to bring producers along. We were supposed to be limited to one person per organization. So Sarah and Kent would have been there. But we went as producers, you know. The days we were there, my tag didn't say NCGA, it said corn farmer. And, and Jacqueline said flying Diamond, uh, flying Diamond Wilson Ranch and Alliance. So that had to get creative. So I'd like to see U.S. Grains Council, USMEF, other organizations, uh, soy, bring producers along. Maybe it's not 50-50, but maybe it's 20, 20 people from staff and 10 producers. That way we get that message across as to what's actually going on the farm and i'd like to see it reciprocated on the eu side bring some farmers over right don't just let it be the staff members or the bureaucrats in dg agri does ncga have european farm group partners who are are willing to accept the science behind european ag who are pushing on that side for the europeans i think there are those partners out there um i'm I can't get into the list of who they are right now, but uh, yes, there are those industries out there that you know we're working with other farm organizations that need to, you know, push back on the green deal, the farm to fork, because the way that's going, it'll limit or eliminate the production agriculture as we know it over there, and we can't afford. You know, we always say that. Um, 
95% of the world's population lives outside of the United States. Well, you get over there, it's 90%, and it just, it, those numbers can be turned backwards a little bit, but the bottom line is there is a great number of our, of our world population that lives outside of both of our borders. That is so true. We got to keep them fed as we watch these changes in Europe. Maybe it could be a benefit for American cattle producers, but those ideas that are circulating, we've got to keep tabs on. Folks, we've been talking with Troy Schneider, Market Development Action Team Chair with the National Corn Growers Association, Corn Cattle Producer at Cope, Colorado. Troy, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Always good to be here. Folks, stick around. We're going to talk to Dean Meyer about the export potential for beef. Looking ahead to 2023, stay here for more AOA when we return. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. AOA continues here today from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association Cattle Convention in New Orleans, Louisiana. We've been talking today about the intersection between corn and cattle and the partnership that that has created and the global reach that has created in moving American products around the world. And that's what we want to end the show with, looking at that export potential. Joining us now is Dean Meyer. He's chairman of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Rock Rapids, Iowa boy, cattle, hogs, corn, and soybean producer. Dean, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Mike. It's been great to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. You know, I want to kick it off. Dean, you are a farmer from Iowa. Why in the world did you get involved with the U.S. Meat Export Federation? What value does that have to you on the ground? Excellent question. As a, as a producer of uh, corn, cattle, soybeans, and pork, with 96% of the population living outside the borders of this country and the fastest growing middle class internationally, international markets are going to be a key to our future and uh, raising corn raising cattle um, that's the combination makes us the highest quality product in the world and we want to put that that on the world's table and that's what the world desires I mean with a growing middle class they want protein they want high quality protein and uh, what better market can we fill but taking taking cattle to their markets and taking uh, you know, the high quality cattle carcasses. Absolutely. And Dean, as we look back at the results in 2022 on the meat export side, it looks like that growing middle class stepped up to the plate and they made some purchases here of U.S. protein. We saw it looked like we're going to see record, record exports this last year. Yeah, it, it's, it's exciting. The, the international cattle beef sales uh, after 21, we had a, we had a record year in 21 and little did we know that 22 would be a better year yet. We're going to we're going to we're going to touch close to 12 billion dollars worth of product on the beef side. And, uh, you know, that's $450 every carcass every you know, each time I load out cattle from my feedlot, I think of that 450 bucks is attributed to international beef sales. That's incredible. That's just what the demand on the global market, that's the pressure, the upward price pressure it puts on domestic beef prices, putting dollars into the pockets of American cattlemen and corn producers. And Dean, this is something I think we're, we don't talk enough about. When we're saying record beef exports, that's another way to move a lot of corn off our shores, isn't it? That's exactly right. Sell, selling red meat is, is good for corn producers because it's the number one market. I mean, livestock's the number one market for corn. And if we can move more red meat, it's a win-win for for the corn. And 12% to the tune of 12% of the value of the bushel. So 
if corn's seven dollars, that's eighty-five cents. It yeah. adds to a bushel of corn just marketing red meat. That is real money. And then when you see how that corn works inside a beef animal to create that meat, I mean, as a as a corn-fed beef fan myself, I'm a huge proponent. And Dean, I understand you had the opportunity to travel back in September to Japan, which has long been a premier destination for U.S. corn-fed beef. Are the Japanese excited to continue that going forward? Japanese market is a mature market. It's it's an exciting market. I. You know, we always hear how the demographics is aging and they're not going to buy as much and they continue to buy more. It's because of the product we sell, the corn fed U.S. high quality product. And they they continue to buy more and more of it. And not only the primal cuts, but the variety cuts and, and the variety meats. And that's what really adds value. We don't think about the variety meats as Americans very often. We don't see them on our plates. But Dean, as you mentioned, they, they add value. That's substantial value, isn't it? to the tune of $60 a head is what variety meats add to the so carcass of a beef. Of so. that $450 value that exports add, 60 of that is variety meats. 60, Am I getting that right? 60 is variety meats and $18 alone, it comes from tongues sent to Japan. Wow. I mean, the Jap Japanese buy over 20 million tongues from us a year. 90% of our tongues go there and, and it adds $18 value to every carcass we market here. That's incredible. When you think of beef tongues, that's a, that's a premium product I just recently learned in Japan, isn't it? It is. I mean, that's the place to eat. If you're going to eat tongue, go to Japan and eat it. They know how to do it. Interesting. When we think about variety meats, for a lot of folks who are outside the cattle business and they are tuning in today, what are some of the variety meats, Dean, that, that we're moving overseas? <laughs> Examples of the variety meats are the tongues, the liver, the heart, the tripe, um, you know, and then there's some of the underutilized cuts, you know, the chuck and some of that that we're, we're able to market in um, a variety of countries. And, and another thing, we talk about Japan, but the key to the success of USMEF is it's broad-based. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we're, we're in markets all over the world. We've got 18 offices around the world, and that's the key is you don't you, – you, you sell the carcass in the market where it has the most value. You know, whether that's the Middle East, whether that's Japan, whether that's South America. And Dean, in your experience, when you're working with those car carcasses that have the most value, I've got to imagine it tends to be the grain finished cattle carcasses, doesn't it? That's that's what's really selling our product is the grain finished. And um, we're promoting that more and more and the success rate of that's been phenomenal. That's, that's why our sales were where they were in 21 and 22 is because you know, we're the, we're the highest producer of grain-fed grain -fed product in the world. Absolutely. Well, Dean, as an Iowa cattle producer, of course, you're at that intersection of corn production and cattle growth. Are you excited about 2023 here as we look to the future in this volatile cattle industry? I am. There's going to be a huge opportunity there. There's always, there's always challenges. We, we know numbers are going to be down, but it gives us the opportunity to sell them variety meats, them underutilized cuts. Since they're grain-fed, they're higher quality than anywhere else in the world, even the underutilized cuts. And then with uh, China emerging from COVID and changing their COVID policies, you know, six weeks ago, their food service is opening up. We think there's a huge opportunity there the second half of 2023 with uh, with a food service in China. Because food service in China basically has been shut down for almost three years, hasn't it's, it? It's been shuttered. And, and, and look at the product we've sold in there with shuttered food service. We think there's going to be a revenge buying coming back when those people can go back and go out to eat again. There's going to be opportunity there. All right, Dean, anything producers ought to be doing now to prepare for that return of the Chinese buyer? Should we be loading up on some feeder calves? Well, continue to produce the high product, quality product. I think, you know, we there's going to be opportunity. Let's let's not get down on the numbers or where we're at in the cycle. I think there's there's going to be huge opportunity ahead. 
there's going to be huge opportunity ahead. Folks, I think that is a great place to end today's episode. We have been talking with Dean Meyer, chair of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Dean, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Mike. It's been good to be here. Folks, tune in tomorrow to AOA. We'll be broadcasting from the Christian Hansen booth. And if you are on the grounds in New Orleans, come by the Learning Lounge tomorrow at 1230. From 1230 to 130, we'll have this meat export conversation right here in New Orleans. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.